we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikori, an executive director of the Center. And this week, we're going to be talking to Susan Kibbe, who is executive director of the South Texas Property Rights Association. Now, from the name of it, you can figure why they were interested in the border issue, because uh, South Texas is ground zero for the border crisis. And if you own property in South Texas, it's affecting you. So first, Susan, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. I assume you live in South Texas. How did you get there? What do you do? And then tell us about the association and where it came from. Yes. So, yeah, I do live in South Texas. I live two counties north of the border county, approximately 85 miles from the border. I've lived here for the most part of my life. live on a working ranch in Lower Jim Wells County in, in South Texas. I raise cattle and grow different crops as well. And when this issue came up, actually, it was back in 2005 when we were having a blow up here in the Rio Grande Valley Border Patrol sector, and predominantly in this area, too, because Brooks County, which is one county north of us, now has the largest Border Patrol checkpoint in the nation. That's in Falfurius, right? It is. Yeah, yeah. I've been there a couple of times. Right. Okay. Right. And so they approached me knowing that I was involved in the community, involved at degree in business, and approached me officially back in 2006 and recruited me uh, to become the executive director. And so we could say that border security was the formation issue for South Texans Property Rights Association. And then we've been able to take up other issues, too, that affect landowners. But that was our formation issue. So what were the landowners in South Texas, I mean, concretely, what were they dealing with? Because obviously everybody sees illegal immigration, but what specifically was the issue that caused them to start the group? Okay, so you could imagine in South Texas, we've always had the back and forth workers from Mexico. They were seasonal workers that come over. Some would show up, you know, in, in your yard or house that they knew you needed work on a ranch. They would work a few weeks before they went on to their main job, whether it was working apples in Washington State or whatever. And then they would return home to their families mm-hmm. after working a season. And so that was something that was commonplace. But what started happening, and we think it was after 9-11 when the border became more hardened and the mom and pop smuggler that would, you know, bring people across was no more. And then the cartels took advantage of that or the Mm. transnational criminal organization. And so then the migration became different. And so back in 2005 in Brooks County in South Furious, hundreds of Brazilians were being released there in the town and they would wait at the bus stop 
they were given bus tickets and then they would traverse wherever, you know, in the United States they wanted to go. Right. And then also the type of migrants that were walking through because they would traverse the Border Patrol checkpoint. So they would be dropped off south on a road, farm to market road, south of the Border Patrol checkpoint. And then they would be guided by a smuggler through private property to then be picked up on the northern point circumventing the checkpoint. Right. And that's when we really noticed that just the, there wasn't two or three anymore. There were 10, 15, 20. They weren't just those that wanted to stop and work and polite and ask for food. They were just wanting to get through. They were dressed in black. They were carrying backpacks. And so we got involved, got our legislators involved, and then Shortly after that, they were able to get an agreement with Brazil and return them home. Because as you know now, all of these other countries, if you don't have that cooperative agreement to for them to accept their countrymen back, then they stay. Right, exactly. You can't send them back. Just to give context to people, in South Texas, you can get across the border, but you can't get anywhere else in the country without passing through one of two northbound roads, and they have border patrol checkpoints on them. One of them is the one uh, you're talking about, Susan, and Falfurius. And so people, like you said, try to go around the checkpoints and then get picked up on the other side. So the border patrol, because they're pretty good, they have dogs that can sniff the trunks, and they also have a sense for, you know, is a car hanging low in a way that's unnatural, that sort of thing. They're pretty good at finding out cars that have people smuggled inside them. But what kind of damages were people experiencing, the property owners around there, that the illegals were basically traipsing through their property? What was happening? So initially it was fences, fences being pulled down, dragged down, cut through to traverse through the property. Right. Cattle or livestock watering troughs, the um, watering systems would be broken off, which would allow water to run. Some homes or hunting camps were being broken into. A lot of that was on the smugglers walking back south. Right. Now it's much more sophisticated than that, and there's more of an onslaught. We were actually able to make some great inroads. The end of the Bush administration and even during the Obama administration, there was enforcement, and that's when we were able to get the aerostat in place on private property and um, a lot of technology, more boots on the ground, really worked on that. We advocated for Border Patrol right? and were able to make you know, a big accomplishment. But then that all changed. Right, yeah. And just for listeners, if they're not familiar, the aerostats are basically the blimps that stay in one place, but high up so that they can see the whole picture. And I think, isn't the administration, I think, is retiring most of those, canceling yes. most of those aerostats, which really... Uh, you know, I mean, it seems to me they performed a pretty important function. Very important function. In fact, on some of them, those cameras have view sheds up to 20 miles wow. away. Wow. There's one in particular in Star County that's on the river that can see into Mexico. Hmm. And that one is running out of funding in December. And that one has been a, a very critical one. And may I say there in Star County, it's also one of the most dangerous counties for Border Patrol in that area because that's where the smuggling of the drugs and humans is most prevalent in, in Texas. Right, yeah. And Star County, to make clear, is 
the checkpoint we're talking about is inside the country, but the Star County is right on the border, right on the yeah. river. And there are gunfights every night, you know, cartel fights that U.S. citizens can hear. So you were saying that the end of the Bush administration and even the Obama administration, there was some improvements. What's happened over the past two years? Has it really been noticeable for you all in what the members of the Property Rights Association are facing? In stark contrast of what had been accomplished to the into the Trump administration with the policy changes. Right. There was still traffic coming across and it was changing and shifting from the RGV sector because as soon as you get infrastructure in place in one area, you squeeze them and move the traffic to another. And they've been able to successfully navigate all of the areas where there's lack of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So with those policy changes and not enforcing current immigration law, the wheels have fallen off the cart and the gates are wide open. And it's not just us in the Rio Grande Valley borders, the patrol sector, but in the Del Rio sector and the El Paso sector, up to the point where the state of Texas has had to take action. And there's currently legislation going through committees right now on the state level to compensate landowners for, you know, create a purse with grant strings to access to compensate landowners. But of course, that is what happens from that point on if it passes the hundreds of thousands of dollars that many landowners have incurred because of their geographical location that they get hit over and over and over again. Hmm. And these are not the ones that are giving themselves up at the border. These are the, what they call the gotaways. They just keep going and they keep going through private property. And, you know, the DPS, the state police here in Texas has stepped up to try to help. And if you're not just sitting back and letting them move through and you have law enforcement trying to help, then you're going to have these incursions. And people just don't feel safe anymore. Ranchers and farmers and employees that used to live on the ranch don't want to. Many have moved away. Interesting. There's just that feeling of it not being safe. And it's, it's like living in a third world and feeling abandoned by your country. Are there any sort of specific horror stories you can tell us? I mean, just as one, and this wasn't a horror story in the sense that there was death involved, but I remember I went and visited a national wildlife sanctuary or something on the Arizona border, very remote area, and people lived there, and there were young women mainly. It was a quail sanctuary, the bird. And so when it was really bad for a while, they put up a wall and that shifted the traffic. These young women would come back to their cabins and there'd be illegal aliens there rifling through their kitchens and stuff. And they were, you know, this freaked them out incredibly. And so they ended up having to put bars on their windows in this sort of bucolic place that you think, why would you have to do that? Are there stories like that or worse that your members have experienced in South Texas? So, yes, there are stories like that. More women just here in the county that I live in, two counties away from the border, you know, walked into her home after church and an illegal alien was in the house and attacked her. Wow. And if she hadn't screamed loud enough, it's just probably because she's a woman and he thought he could, you know, get the better of her. You know, I'm sure she surprised him. But this happened, you know, uh, another woman in the Del Rio sector who has MS and that's in a wheelchair. 
and she was home alone and they came banging on her door and, you know, she had to immediately call her husband. So yet these things happen. And I think if anybody living in cities within the United States were experiencing something similar that you could equate to what we're feeling, that would be a big uproar right. within the nation. So one of the things I remember talking this is several years ago to some ranchers around Falfurius, and one of the things they often experienced was they'd find either bodies, people who had died from exposure or something, or you know people who were close to death and they end up rescuing them. Is that the kind of thing you all have experienced as well? Yes, sir. And of course, Brooks County is 10 minutes away from here. And it's, as I you know, described, it's the private property that's circumventing the Border Patrol checkpoint. In 2012, I think it was the highest point of bodies found. It was 129. Wow. So last year, there had been a steady decrease for various reasons. But this last year, it was back up to 119. And so, yes, landowners find them usually when they're out checking the cattle or out in the pasture and they see buzzards, which are a scavenger bird, uh-huh. flying or gathered in a tree. Many of the bodies are found in a skeletal form during hunting season when their hunters are either in the trucks or walking on foot hunting quail or getting into deer blinds. We had a, which is not typical for South Texas, but several years ago had a snowstorm where five died altogether under a tree and were found pretty quickly. And in fact, the uh, Brooks County Sheriff's Office now has a morgue. The governor of Texas gave it to them because they had the highest body count at the time. You might have seen the numbers, but this past fiscal year, all of the southwest border had almost 900 deaths. Right. Yeah. In fact, at the Brooks County Sheriff's Office, they actually keep binders for each year of all the bodies they found. I have a picture of that. We went and spoke with the sheriff's deputy there. So you said that your association worked with the Texas state legislature. Have you reached out? Have you worked with Congress? Do you have a relationship with your local congressman? How does that kind of thing work as far as advocacy in Washington? Because that's where this problem really comes from. Right. That's where the problem really comes from. And we've been able to successfully get more funds for law enforcement through Stone Garden. And as I described, letting them know what really works with various technologies and advocating for more boots on the ground. But we've lost that connection, right? And so this last November, I had the opportunity to sit with the Homeland Security Committee that came down to the field hearing right. in Far Texas last week. I had an eight to nine meeting. It was just a listening session that they had. So we were able to share with them some of our issues. And so feel like there's more of a connection now. But all the way through, we've always reached out to those that would listen. And I think Congressman. Henry Cuellar has been the only Democrat that you know would really listen and advocate right. for us. Right. So we're speaking with Susan Kibbe, who's the executive director of the South Texas Property Rights Association, that obviously is uh, you know has been dealing with the issue of illegal immigration for a number of years now. They're founded in 2006. So what kinds of specific solutions do you all promote? Obviously, you know extra funding and what have you for enforcement is important, but, you know, the reason the flow is coming is not really just because of 
a lack of funding, it's because of policy changes. Have you addressed it's those? Policy like- changes, loopholes in, in certain laws, but I think if you just let every law enforcement agency do its job right. the way the law is set up to do, I think that would make a lot of difference. And we need to continue in the infrastructure building as well, mm-hmm. um, have the technology that we need. And we need a revamped guest worker program with a mandatory E-Verify system in place. Right. Because, you know, we, we do need workers. And unfortunately, that's the draw. And unfortunately, most everybody that's coming through, if they're not, you know, young family members, they've got a job. So we've got to stop that flow and, and address that in a serious manner. I don't think it's been taken serious before. I don't know how you take the politics out of all this and just use common sense, but that's what's needed. Right, right. So how wide is membership in your association? In other words, you'll often have groups that, you know, address real issues, but you know, may only be a handful of people involved. Are there a lot of members of your association, the kind of people who are directly affected by this? So we represent about 6 million acres of land. Wow, okay. In South Texas, our geographical region runs from Galveston, Houston, and San Antonio to Del Rio. But we do have members outside of that. We even have some sheriffs in Northeast Texas that are members. So excuse me, Northeast United States yeah, right. that, are, <laughs> that are members. And so I think just the fact that, that we work so well with law enforcement because we know that to be safe, to live in an area and be able to work and enjoy the use of our land, we we have to have the safeguards in place that only law enforcement provides. And I think there's such a pushback on law enforcement that that's hurt us in this respect as well. So I assume you have reasonably good relationship with the Texas Department of Public Safety, which is the state police and Border Patrol. Can you tell us something about that? And also your relationship maybe more generally with the governor's office in Texas? I mean, it seems to me all of you are kind of rowing in the same direction, but under the new management of the Border Patrol, has the Border Patrol been less, I don't know, forthcoming, cooperative, whatever? Yes. So, for example, I've worked with the now U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz for well over a decade. Was he based down in RGV before? He was. Oh, okay. Yes, he was. You can probably pull up some footage of he and then-President Trump in front of the wall. Right. And so now he's head of, the, just to clarify, he's the head of the whole Border Patrol now. He testified yes. recently, actually seemed to have been speaking honestly in a way that I assume that folks in the White House might not have been pleased about. Right. Yes, that's correct. He did. He had to. He was under oath, right? right. So exactly. he had to speak and tell exactly how things were on the border. If not, he would have lost all of his support from his agents. Right. And so, yes, we've worked with Border Patrol very closely. We were always invited to meetings. We always advocated for them. The same is true with the state police. I can call the director any time and get a response. And I do when when a landowner calls and needs help, I can call right up and they're there to set up a either a brush crew to go in or whatever is needed on that particular property had the opportunity to meet Mike Banks while he was still with Border Patrol, but he is now the 
reporter advisor for the governor Mm -hmm. of Texas and have met with him on a couple of occasions. And we are lucky to have an asset like him on the state level. The governor, of course, is the one that hired him and he answers to the governor. And I can say that Governor Abbott and I have a very strong working relationship. They listen to what we have to say. So I feel very unfortunate with the relationship building that we've been able to do over these past years made a difference. You were saying that Congressman Cuellar is the only Democrat that really has worked with you guys. Uh, There's been some change in the congressional representation in South Texas. And how has that relationship gone? Because Monica De La Cruz is a new congresswoman down there. It's, yes, she uh, is. Our association supported her on her first run. Mm-hmm. Which was unsuccessful, and this was her second run. That's correct. She just failed by a few points, which was amazing at the time. Mm-hmm. And she did a really good job of working it. And in fact, saw her at that uh, listening session in her district. She has reached out and she's appreciative of, of those that helped her get elected this go around and I feel like we can, you know, reach out to her at any time and, and get her to listen to our needs and she has and she did. We want to finish up in a couple minutes here, but one issue I wanted to see what you guys thought of was the border wall. Because, you know, in some parts of the border, like Arizona and California, it's basically all almost all dry and it's pretty much straight line. So it's more amenable anyway to border walls. When If you're talking about the Rio Grande, it's a river, it meanders, it floods, sometimes even changes its course. And so there's been wall construction there. Often it's way back from the river. Does your association have any thoughts one way or the other about border wall building? Well, we believe that that's part of the layered effect and that we know that it has made a difference where it's been used. Right. And like you said, in California and Arizona, I think it would be ideal in the area of Star County here in South Texas, where there is such a a big problem. It was slated for a wall. And this really, yes, it is complicated, right? Because you have a a river that snakes around. Mm -hmm. But most, I would say, most of the landowners were ready and prepared for it because they were feeling the, uh, the effects of an unsecure border, knowing that part of the property was going to be on the, on the south side. Yes, there are some landowners that, that don't want that. Right. But the vast majority know that the wall is part of the layered effect of border security. Right. One last substantive question. It's kind of a little off the wall, but I mean, I've been down to South Texas a number of times, went out to Boca Chica, which is where SpaceX has one of its launch facilities. Is uh, Elon Musk uh, one of the South Texas landowners, that uh, property rights owners that uh, you're no, affiliated with? But no, but now that you say that, I think we need to reach out to him. I think he would be amenable to Because he is a South Texas property owner. So, uh, yes, sir. Great point. Thank you. <laughs> so looking forward, what are you guys, what is your association hoping for not talking about elections two years from now, but I mean, what are you thinking, what are you planning on doing over the next couple of years to address this crisis you all are facing? So we are just keeping on doing what we're doing. And if we can't do it on federal level, we'll continue to work through the state efforts. Mm-hmm. I know there's Speaker Fallon, the House Speaker here in, in Texas, 
as a bill that he would like to see legislative or a creation of a border protection unit that would have its own court systems in place and allow CPS, the state police, and others to go back you know, to doing the jobs that they were doing. Right. And I think Texas will continue to try to secure the border in in absence of the federal government. Uh, one thing actually is occurred to me is that one of the things that Texas has been doing in order to address the border crisis, since it's not allowed to deport people, obviously, is it's gotten a lot of private property owners to agree that if DPS arrests an illegal immigrant, they can charge them with trespassing. Is that right. something you've been involved with? Are your members people who are doing that? What are your thoughts on that issue? Yes. Unfortunately, it wasn't built up correctly on the front end, uh, and they're having to fix it on the back end. And I think that's something that this border protection unit would do is to have all the right tools in place. A lot of times there's just not the will to prosecute. That's right, the yeah. issue that we're having in, in these South Texas counties that the DA from county attorneys are not prosecuting cases. And when you don't prosecute, when there's not something in place that that is a punishment, then you will see it continue. So you just have to, they just have to let them go if there's nobody exactly. prosecuting. Interesting. And so, so, so what does that signal, right? right yeah, we exactly. can get away with it. So in a sense, this legislation, which would create a kind of Texas border patrol, basically within the larger state police, would seek to address that problem that they've been facing? Yeah. Interesting. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Well, good. Thank you. Susan Kibbe, Executive Director of the South Texas Property Rights Association, has been our guest. I really appreciate your coming on, Susan, telling us about what you all are facing. Hopefully, you can um, hold out and keep trying to improve things until the crisis somehow or another passes or is ended down there. And keep in touch with us if there's new developments, something going on that is, you know, that people more broadly would benefit from hearing about, let us know, and we might uh, want to have you on again. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Thank you for the invitation to join you today. And finally, to keep with the border theme, the February border apprehension numbers, so-called encounter numbers, have been released recently. And our analyst, Andrew Arthur, did a blog post this week that was an interesting look at them and made some important points that the numbers are in fact down. They're about the same as they were in January, but that was down from the extremely high levels of a few months before that. There were about almost 130,000 illegal immigrant apprehensions by the Border Patrol on the Mexican border. So that's between the ports of entry. But one of the points that Art Arthur brought up was that, first of all, it's the number while down from several months before when the number of apprehensions was really getting out of control, it's quadruple the number of apprehensions for February of three years before, right before the pandemic, February of 2020. The numbers for February of 2023 were quadruple, more than quadruple those levels. So the fact is the administration's attempt to spike the football and say they've solved the problem is unfounded. This is only a lower number because the previous numbers were so ridiculously high. We're still talking 
4,000 or more encounters of illegal immigrants, so-called, by the Border Patrol every day. But also an important point, other people have brought this up, is that a growing share of these so-called encounters are people that the administration is letting into the country through the ports of entry, through these various parole programs and other programs. So the illegal immigrant isn't crossing the border illegally. It's the government that's breaking the law by letting them in illegally and then letting them go. This is through something called the CBP-1 app, which is something where they schedule their illegal entrance into the United States. But really, the illegality, the burden of illegality is kind of shifted from the alien to the government itself. And it's not even just at border crossing points, so-called ports of entry, where people from Venezuela, Cuba, Haiti, and Nicaragua, and frankly, other countries too, are just showing up and being led into the country. For those four countries, the program that this administration has set up, the unlawful parole program, actually permits them to fly directly from their home country into the interior of the United States so that they're skipping the border altogether, but it still remains illegal immigration. And the administration's goal pretty clearly appears to be to get as many people who would otherwise have snuck across the border illegally to be waved in in such a way that they won't show up in the Border Patrol apprehension statistics. And that doesn't change the reality that this is illegal immigration. It's just illegal immigration that instead of the government reacting to and trying to stop, this new kind of illegal immigration is something that the government is actually organizing and running and promoting. It's kind of shocking when you think about it, but we're going to see more and more of this, assuming they aren't stopped by the courts. And there are cases, at least one case in the courts, that would directly cripple this effort to illegally wave people into the country so that they don't have to cross the border illegally first and then be released. That's it for this episode of Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Krikorian, and I hope you join us next week. And just as a heads up, next Friday, not tomorrow, but next Friday, March 31st, is National Border Control Day, honoring the birthday of Cesar Chavez, labor leader Cesar Chavez, who was a strong proponent of border enforcement in order to protect the rights of American workers. So until then, this is Mark Krikorian, and I hope you'll tune in next week.